From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Monday, April 25th. On any given nice day in Moab, you're likely to run into all sorts of people doing all sorts of things at the town boat ramp. We have commercial outfitters that use that ramp as a takeout all the way down to very small watercraft rentals, the paddleboard rentals, and so it runs the full gamut of user groups, and it can get pretty crowded sometimes. Tony Mancuso is the Green and Colorado River Coordinator for the Utah Department of Natural Resources. The town ramp is the closest river access from Moab, so he says just about anybody interested in getting to the water's edge will stop there. At a recent open house meeting about the ramp, Mancuso estimated he's there at least once a week. That's because... The area behind the gate, if you're familiar with that site, has been a restoration area that our agency has been working on rehabilitating since the early 2000s. And for the past several years, he's advocated for other improvements. Mancuso wants to increase safety and reduce conflict between user groups. Things that could help? Expanded parking, bathrooms, clear access areas for small and large watercraft, and of course, a new ramp. Right now, he says the town ramp is kind of like a patchwork quilt of concrete pads. Throughout the years, uh, community members and stakeholders kind of jigsaw puzzled together various concrete pads and ramps and developed this as a river access site as the area grew and more and more people became interested in it. I really love walking around on that concrete pad and noticing the different names that are inscribed in the concrete. Names like Tex McClatchy, Texas Riverways is a company that still operates in Moab. There's also an inscription called Trap Axe. That was the name of Canyonlands by night before they changed their name. These were like, we need to make the boat ramp bigger, who can afford to sponsor this patch of concrete, you know? So they got their name inscribed in the concrete. The ramp has history, but Mancuso and other stakeholders say it could be better. What we're working on right now is a plan to make that boat ramp more suitable and more resilient for lower water and higher water. Our knowledge of engineering has changed, and so we kind of know how to build it better this time. Well, it's, it's a really active area for the city, and it's one of those few areas to the Colorado River that you have easy access to town with, so it's got a lot of elements in it. John Gunther is the planning director for Grand County. He's helped lead a diverse group of stakeholders, including the county, city, state, and federal agencies, to make improvements to the town ramp area. They've developed a conceptual plan for a new and improved boat ramp with the help of an in-kind grant from the National Park Service's Rivers, Trails, and Conservation Program. Their concept plans outline where toilets can go, what the improved parking might look like, and even makes potential designs for the other side of the river. Conceptual plans are online, Grand County Connects. You can go, people can go look there and comment on them. And the timing is to try to get a grant application for the capital funding part of it, because that's where the money hits the road, uh, by the spring of this year and get that grant application started to get into the engineering part. And we're hoping for a construction start at the best case scenario for the fall of 2023. That'd be for the boat ramp, for the the concrete side. Gunther says it's a bit early to estimate the total project cost. They're still taking feedback on the conceptual plans. There's also a user survey available at grandcountyconnects.com. 
To get involved or share your perspective on town boat ramp improvements, find the show notes of today's news on our website or podcast. The federal government's pandemic response program to fund free school meals for all students is set to expire at the end of June. Shannon Young with our partners at KGNU has more. Many school nutritionists, food policy experts, and child welfare advocates are urging the government to extend the program another year. Ashley Wheeland is the director of public policy at Hunger Free Colorado. She says the last year has shown what can happen when all children in schools have the same access to meals. The current free and reduced meal program's eligibility requirements are too low. A family of four must make under 50000 to qualify, while the costs of living in our state are up. Furthermore, the ending of these waivers will end nearly 280 summer meals locations, removing those access points to children's food over the summer. Finally, these waivers ending will be a cliff for school nutrition departments. Not only will they be without funds to feed many kids who have been counting on the meals this year, but they are facing inflation of food prices at nearly 9% and dealing with staffing shortages. Wheeland and other advocates pointed the free school lunch for all program as an example of a good policy coming from the pandemic. Since the September 2020 announcement by the USDA to allow free school meals for all students, we have seen many positive impacts. Dan Sharp is Mesa County's school nutrition director and has worked on the serving lines in the school district's cafeterias. Prior to COVID, many students that were eligible for free meals did not participate and when hungry to ensure that they were not recognized by peers as the poor kids. We see this play out every day in our school cafeterias prior to COVID. Sharp says that many of the kids benefiting from the current federal waiver program are kids and families that are struggling financially, but whose household incomes are above the threshold to qualify for the free or reduced lunch program. Las familias se enfrentan retos y los altos costos en la, re, en la renta es otro problema grande que tampoco están viendo. Denver resident and parent Gabby Medina says raising a family is always a challenge and that many are now struggling under the burden of skyrocketing rents. Most funding needed to provide free school lunches comes from the federal government through the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which is why advocates are urging Congress to act before the summer. This story is from our partners at KGNU. A Utah State University study is exploring how dust blowing off dry Great Salt Lake beds contributes to pollution. Sherry Quinn with our partners at Utah Public Radio has more. Climate change and unsustainable water use have turned 50% of Great Salt Lake to dust uh, or potential dust. That is Molly Blakowski, one of the Ph.D. students analyzing the dust from the crusty dry lake bed around Farmington Bay, which has dramatically receded. Great Salt Lake is a terminal lake. Blakowski says it's like a bathtub without a drain, and so it accumulates pollution. That includes natural and human-made chemicals and heavy metals that can turn into contaminated dust. Dust getting kicked up is a common thing across the American West. Jeffrey Perala Dewey is working with Blakowski on this study. What's unique about the Great Salt Lake and the dust that's being kicked up here is that these sediments have been polluted by urban and industrial and agricultural inputs for a very long time. So that's what makes this dust potentially very concerning. 
In addition to measuring the airborne dust, Blakowski and Dewey are trying to figure out where it's going, how far, and say it's likely traveling to mountain ecosystems. It could be depositing on Wasatch snowpack. It could also be transported to communities adjacent to the lake. According to their findings, the most polluted areas are near large communities. We can say that Farmington Bay does pose a potentially large risk to human health in the area based on the amount of pollution that's there and its potential to generate dust. They say you can still enjoy the lake, but it's best to avoid it during a dust storm. I'm Sherry Quinn. And that's the KZMU News for Monday, April 25th. Before we go, I want to take a second to say thank you to everyone who donated to KZMU during Radiothon. We are absolutely blown away by the support. Every single dollar goes straight back into this community radio station for things like equipment upgrades, youth programs, and yes, the newscast. Thank you, listener, for putting the power and community in community-powered radio.